So Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who appear in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human life. Their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. Thanks, Peter. Hello, everyone. Now, doubt. I was wondering this week whether I'd be able to talk about doubt because I'm not sure that I'm... um, know what I'm going to say. No, it didn't work. <laughs> it was, here we go, it's coming up now. See, <laughs> thank you, Brian. I don't need that for the first bit anyway. See, what I want to ask you is, I have a question, I want to know, put, put up your hand if you doubt that I could beat Sam Telfer over there in an arm wrestle. Stand up, Sam, so people can see you. Put up your hand if you doubt that I could beat him. You're all dead to me. 
Come on, that's our age. All right, Stephen up the back there, who's been up the front, that's senior pastor. Put up your hand if you doubt that I could beat him in an arm wrestle. There's quite a few, I'm actually impressed with quite a few of you kind of think I've got a chance. Now, put up your hand. Let me go one more. Put up, yeah, I doubt the stand's going to work. We can, can I beat the rock? Put up, your, put up your hand if you think, I can beat the rock in an arm wrestle. Yeah, I chased it. Thank you, boys. Thank you very much. I'm thinking your doubt varies on that scale there, right? I'm only going to beat him if he's dead, and then I still think his arm's stronger than mine, right? Maybe I've got a chance against Sam, but doubt is when we wonder about something, when we question it, when we think about it, and we wonder, well, I'm not sure that that's going to be true. I'm not sure that's actually what the reality is. Doubt is, doubt is that moment where we think, I don't think I can go with that. And today's psalm, our psalmist, Asaph, is looking, he's looking back at a great struggle in his life. He's looking at a struggle in his life and he's reflecting on this struggle and, well, it gets him to the point of doubt and we see it almost destroys him and his faith with God. And I think this psalm, it kind of speaks to us very much today. I was reading one of the the commentators had lots of great things to say on it and Marvin Tate was his name and he just said, Psalm 73 is surely one of the greatest of the Psalms in terms of reader response. Readers over and over again find that the words of the Psalm fit their condition and give them new strength. I want us today to see how this Psalm should give us new strength. How it should encourage us as we see him reflecting on a struggle he had and how it took him to the edge and then he came back to God. That's what happened. See, his doubt was a specific doubt. His doubt wasn't that God, God existed in this psalm, as we'll see. It's not, it's not the issue of, I don't believe there's a God at all. His doubt is on whether God is good. There's all sorts of other doubts, as I've said. God's not there. God's weak. God doesn't care. And God's not good. And as we look at his specific doubt today, maybe we'll see how it can speak to us and remind us that God is good and how we need to keep on coming back to him. So what I want us to do, what I want us to do today, is I want us to see how he sets up the problem and then he gives the perspective that's nearly sent him over the edge. He gives us this perspective of the wicked and those prospering and, and how that's been a disaster for him. And then I want us to see there's one verse that turns everything on its head. The key, verse 17. Whatever's said in verse 17 changes his attitude, changes his mindset, changes his attitude to how he's going to deal with his doubt. 
And then what we'll do is we'll look at his second perspective, his new perspective because of that moment in verse 17. That's kind of the movement of this passage. He starts off with a problem and solution outlined. He looks at the wicked, sees they're successful, comes to a sanctuary and then has a new view. So let's have a look at it. Starting with the first few verses. God is good, yet the wicked prosper. That's his problem. He starts off in verse 1. Have it open there with me and read along. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, surely saying, it's, it, yes, this must be the way it is, but the evidence, it's not lining up. God is good to Israel. God is good to his people, to those whose hearts are inclined to him. And yet, I'm feeling like God's not good anymore. As for me, where my feet are taking me, is to slip over, to fall down, go away from God because he's not good. Why? Because I saw, I saw the, the arrogant. I saw how successful they were, these wicked who prosper, and I envied. I wanted to be prosperous. I wanted to have that. It didn't seem fair. How could God be good and the wicked are prospering? You feel that tension that he's sharing with us. He's at the crossroads in this moment. I wonder, you reflect on your life, could you start a psalm, if you were to write a song to God, could it resonate like that? in your life at some point in the past where you felt like unfair things are happening and I think I envy. I want success and it's not happening and I follow God. Or maybe you're feeling that now. Or maybe it's the reason why you you consider God not worth listening to because, well, He's not good. So here's his plight. What does he do? Well, let's have a look at verses 4 to 12 as he reflects more on those who he's envied. Look at verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. They're physically superior. Everything's working out perfectly for them, he says. That's interesting, isn't it? The perspective that he's got in his mind right now. No burdens plague them. We'll hold that for later as well. Therefore, in verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. See, they show off how great they are by their violence. 
They, therefore, pride is their necklace. What adorns themselves is how wonderful they are, how fantastic it's working out for them. They scoff in verse 8 and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. Talk, 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 talk. We rule. They say in verse 11, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Knowledge, whatever. This is what the wicked are like, he says. Always carefree. And the thing that gets him, they're increasing in wealth. Good times and prosperity. Of a picture of people who are not nice. This can be a perspective of today. We can see this description of how some people are. On the bigger picture, we see in our recent centuries, dictator after dictator, there they are. I saw online a list of the top 25 dictators. You have to read that cold without emotion, otherwise you honestly will break down. And don't tally up the amount of millions of people dictator after dictator has killed for these purposes and prospered for many, many years. We can go through Mugabe, Kim Jong-il, Pol Pot, Lenin, Hitler, Hussein, Ho Chi Minh, Stalin, Mao Zedong, I can't say his name, he doesn't deserve me to say his name properly, but all these guys, millions of people have been destroyed so their way can prosper. And done it for many years. People living there face the consequences of it for years and years. Some have died. Our, our, our wonderful uh, brothers and sisters, our missionary friends in Cambodia, share with us how that country is still suffering the millions of people that Pol Pot killed. This is a picture of how people have to deal with life. But sometimes it's not on the big scale. Sometimes it's at work when someone you know is constantly doing the wrong thing, is constantly lying, cheating and stealing and getting into the position of power above you who's trying to do the right thing. How can that be right and good? Seeking to do the right thing and the wicked prosper. And so the doubt makes sense. On that level. But he doesn't just talk about them, he looks at himself. Look at verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. As as he says in verse 1, I've tried to have a pure heart, follow God, his ways. I've tried to be innocent, not have guilt on my hands. His testimony is one of trying to be upright all day long, he says. I've been burdened, plagued. I've been burdened 
I'm being punished every morning. His strife is terrible. The outcome is not just, ah, this is hard. It's oppressive. He's overwhelmed. He sees this just horrible situation he finds himself in and the great situation of the wicked and he, he can't cope with it. It's oppressive. It's weighing him down. It's pushing him down. He's oppressed. He's, he feels like he's a slave to it. It's in vain. Okay, God's there, but the idea of him being good kind of seems pointless when it doesn't, well, come to me. You see, in this psalm, we see this doubt does not lead to his ruin. Does not lead to his rejection of God and embracing the wicked so he can get good. That's not where it ends. What brings about this change? It's verse 17. Have a look at verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Coming to the sanctuary... Gave him understanding. The sanctuary, a fancy word, but it's, if you think about the sanctuary, it's a dwelling place. It's where God was dwelling. And the sanctuary is used in the Old Testament throughout, identifying where God is dwelling with his people. So when there's the tent and God's sanctuary is there, and when there's the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, the sanctuary um, is, is, is used. The temple is God's sanctuary, and there's the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies, the real sanctuary where God is, where God's people come to him, the sanctuary of sanctuaries. And so he's saying, on one level, I think it's kind of obvious. When you come to God, the ignorance is removed. And you'll have knowledge. But on another level, it's beautifully put because there's so much that's not said and it's, it's what is understood. How did it happen? But the point is, his new perspective comes about because he comes to where God is. And that's where I want us to finish today. I want us to finish with coming to God in his sanctuary, where God dwells. But before we do that, I want us to see how this coming to the sanctuary for him gave him a totally new perspective. Look at verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? As a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. New view on the wicked. I understood their final destiny. The reality is, when he comes to God, he's all-powerful. 
that actually he is in charge of all things, destruction is imminent, and when he actually thinks with God's eyes, it's them who are on slippery ground. Isn't that great in verse 18? You place them on slippery ground. Verse 2, my feet had almost slipped. I come to God and I see the reality is they are the ones who are in trouble, not me. You cast them to ruin, how suddenly they are destroyed. There will be destruction for the wicked. He comes to be reminded of that. But it's not just that, oh, they'll get their comeuppance, that they're going to face their, their destruction. He has more clarity, more perspective. He has clarity on who he is. Look at verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. What do those words kind of sound like? What are they describing? It's more of a picture of the wicked that he's now saying about himself. His heart was grieved and his spirit embittered. He, he was bitter to the way things were. He was kind of expressing the wicked attitude of those we saw in verse 4 and 12. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So what you see is that without this, doubt can foster. He's realised the reality is my heart was a problem. My heart is not so perfect all the time. It's grieved and embittered and I was a brute beast. Is that I look at them as if I am so great and that just fosters me thinking, well, I deserve I deserve good. I deserve God. And now with a new perspective, when you come to understand God, he reveals ourselves to us as well. And so he comes to this realisation. The wicked will reach their final destiny. The wicked will be destroyed. That list of tyrants that I mentioned... Some are already dead, most of them. Some are, some are still in power. But he knows God's just. But he also knows that our hearts need to be turned towards God, not just angry towards those who look like they're succeeding. And then he realises that there's no need to depend upon a heart well, that fails. And he comes full circle and realises God is in fact good. The surely of verse 1 is with certainty, not with kind of cynicism. That God is good. Let's read on. He says in verse uh, 22, uh, 23, yet I am always with you. 
You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He gets to verse 25 and 26, and with his new perspective, he sees he's in heaven. He is good. There is nothing else to desire but God. And I know my heart fails. I've come to that realisation in our point before. I know that it's not great, but you have all the strength and power and I can rest on you. And talking about what I want and the envy, envying of, of, the, of the wicked in verse 3, I envied what they had in their prosperity. Look at verse 26. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't envy what they have. I am with God. See how his perspective has changed. It's a wonderful change. He sees there will be justice. There's allusions to eternity, although I don't think this passage is... uh, Uh, this psalm is driving it there, there is an end destiny. There is an eternal heaven. And God is his refuge, a.k.a. God is good enough. And we'll sing that later. God is enough. Look at verse 27 to 28. Those who are far from you will perish. His new view on the wicked. But as for me, in verse 28, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. Here we have a reversal of the situation as he affirms what he said in verse 1. And the response is to come near to God. To have him as your refuge. You see, what we're seeing in this psalm, what I think I've taken away from it this week, and and Stephen helpfully mentioned when we at communion, is that we don't hide from doubt as if it's a shameful thing, is that when at the crossroads of doubt, you go to God. Or away from God. Doubt should send you to him. And come near to him. And in this instance, in this doubt, where he's questioning God's goodness, he comes to him and he sees he is good. He comes to the sanctuary. When we have doubt... Are we going to go to God? You see, his coming to the dwelling place and the sanctuary is something you can't just rock up to. You couldn't go into the temple and just turn up with all your stains and sins. You come with offerings and sacrifices, money. 
that was built into the system because here is the holy God in his dwelling place where he meets his people and we are not, is what the picture is. Coming to God in the dwelling place. But the thing is, while we don't see clarity, I don't think, in this psalm of what's taking place in the sanctuary of God there in verse 17, we know the dwelling place of God with crystal clear clarity. Because not only do we come near to God, but we need to be reminded time and time again that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, Jesus comes and dwells amongst us so we can be in the sanctuary of God, to be with him. And that is why we come to God, we can have him as our refuge. That is why Jesus says when he talks about the bread of life, we've seen when we did John, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the refuge. God has dwelt amongst us and he becomes the one we come to. You see, coming to God means our knowledge and our understanding gets a new perspective. Coming to Jesus means we do that at the foot of the cross where he becomes our refuge. And he does that so that we can be in the sanctuary of the heavens. Hebrews 10, and we started off with today, where we read about the fact that Jesus, Jesus actually uh, gives us access to the ultimate dwelling place of God. The chapter before, in chapter 9, we read, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of a true one. These um, shadows that we've been talking about in um, the Old Testament here, he entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Jesus goes to God with his blood for us. He enters the sanctuary for us so we can take refuge in him and come to him. We don't need to let our doubt mean we turn away from God when if we remember what we see Jesus has done and he's actually wanting the opposite to happen with our doubt. He dies so that he can bring us into God's presence. He is our refuge and strength for everything that happens in this life. And it means that we all need to draw near to God. It means if you doubt God's goodness, today for the first time, maybe you need to come near to him. Not with some idea that your hands can now be great and clean, but because Jesus who dwelt amongst us takes his blood into the presence of God.
And when we have those moments of doubt, which way will you go? This psalm of Asaph reminds us so clearly today, we come to God. We take refuge in him. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is mighty. He is the one who our portion uh, should be forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let our doubt draw us to you, not to let it foster and grow and to delude ourselves into thinking that you're not good. Let our doubt take us to the sanctuary to take us to Jesus. Remind us that he is our portion, that we'll never thirst, we'll never hunger. Remind us he has justice covered on the cross. And if the wicked prosper for a while, they prosper because our portion is you. We thank you that we are not left wondering. We thank you that we can turn to Jesus. Amen.